We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 180. I have been so excited to announce this guest because he is someone that I have looked to for advice and inspiration within the industry for a long time now. And him and I are also in similar boats being equestrian professionals as trainers, but then also in the equestrian influencing realm as well. He is one of the top European equestrian influencers and he just really does an amazing job highlighting the passion between horse and rider and that true partnership. He has a really cool story and is doing some amazing things. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Carl Hedden. But first, did you know that essential fatty acids helps horses with joint and tissue, better gut health, allergies, respiratory support, better hair, better calming, top line support, help with tying up, and seriously, so much more. You've heard me talk about O3 Animal Health, but their product, Equine Omega Complete, is amazing. They have hundreds of unsolicited reviews about this product. Here's one. Sheila D said, I am very impressed with Equine Omega Complete. My horses look great. And I've had a horse who has a difficulty with top line development, has always had a sparse mane and a super dull coat. She has never looked better than she does right now. Head over to their website for more information. That's o3animalhealth.com and use code podcast for $10 off your order. I forgot to mention the obvious one. Omega oil really helps hoof support, but sometimes you're working with a horse that really has some serious hoof issues. Whether your horse is challenged by laminitis, white line disease, navicular disease, hoof cracks, weak walls, thin soles, or one of the many other hoof-related problems, I have such a great product for you. Forma Hoof is essentially a product that is a 3D mold, which really helps balance your horse and help them with long-term soundness. Formahoof is the fastest and most effective way to get your horse back on track. By recreating the form of a perfectly healthy balanced hoof, Formahoof delivers immediate results to give your horse's hooves the chance to grow back healthy and strong. If you haven't seen pictures of it, you have to go check out their website at formahoof.com. If you know of a horse that would really benefit from Forma Hoof, you can learn online in the Forma Hoof Academy and get started with your trusted home farrier, vet, or equine practitioner today. Again, for more information, visit formahoof.com. All right, I am so excited for this episode, so let's get to it. So I would love to hear how you first kind of found yourself in the horse world. I'm obviously from Sweden and my sister was riding when when I was younger. So I was tagging along to the local riding school. But actually I got got kicked when I was only five years old. So I was terrified of horses. So I refused to go into the uh, to the stable at all. So when we were going to pick up my sister from her lesson, I would st- stay out in the car and just like playing Game Boy, not not even entering the the barn at all. But then as I got older, I was always very fascinated with animals and was watching all of the nature shows on TV and at home. So I I was with this. We had this thing in school here in Sweden where you try out lots of different uh, sports. So every week there's a new sport. And then one week we came to the sport being riding. So all of us 
15, 20 kids were going to the, the riding school and I didn't want to go because I was terrified of horses, right? But then the peer pressure, I suppose, was so, so strong. So I felt like I had to like play cool and pretend like I was not scared of horses. So, <laughs> so I jumped up and then I guess I never jumped off. So that's how I got into horses. So cool. Love it. Did your sister continue to ride? Yeah, she did for a couple of years. She had her own horses, but she quit it when she was 18. And now it's just, just me riding in the family. Was your initial or, or through school, did you ride dressage or what, what kind of discipline was it? So when I started, it was just riding in general. We have in Sweden, a very broad perspective of riding. So when you started a riding school, which I I would say most people who's not from a horsey background would start at a riding school. And then you just like ride once a week. And I know this, this varies very much from where about in the world that the concept of riding school, but here in Sweden, it's very much so to speak for everyone. So it's not very expensive. Most of the kids can, can get to do it. And then you ride like a little bit. First of all, it's learning to control the horses. And I think when I started, it was actually like every second week it was just like not riding in the saddle and it was just not it was just like knowledge based so it was more like learning about horses and how cool. to care for them and then as I got a little bit older they divided it so it was like 30 minutes riding and then 30 minutes like educational stuff instead because we like put a lot of emphasis on people learning a lot about horses not just the riding bit so yeah I did that for five years and then you did a little bit of show jumping a little bit of dressage I actually was more into show jumping at that stage so I did like extra weekend classes with show jumping and then as I was 12 I had my own I got my first pony and my parents bought me this white beautiful pony it was a mix of Arabian thoroughbred Connemara pony in your forest and uh, I had that one for three years and I was doing a little bit of everything mostly I did eventing and then some show jumping and dressage and then as I got older I got more and more into dressage gotcha now you kind of do both are you is that more based on what your clients are doing or what horses you're working with how does that work and what's that dynamic like because obviously I think that they're they work well together in a sense I know for me on the hunter jumper end having dressage base with some lateral movement is really great for jumpers and hunters jumping square and and balanced off of your aids but yeah tell me a little bit about how you balance that with with you know doing well in both areas yeah so so as i said i used to do eventing when i was younger but then i i i think i had more like a raw talent for dressage because i enjoyed the training bit very much and i'm very fascinating with how you can teach animals different behaviors i suppose and and with dressage obviously that is like with my, I, my experience was always that with show jumping there if the horse had a, a, like a natural talent, that was not all that was needed, but that was like a big element of the sport. Whereas in dressage, especially maybe in low level dressage, it was very much about the training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just talking about it today with my, the girls that I'm working with and saying that I could feel with, with the dressage, I could feel how I was, if I was training halts for like four weeks, I would have a better score at the show. But if I would practice my jumping, I could still have, I railed down. It was much more hmm. scarce in a way of how to monitor your results. And that part of it was, was driving me a lot uh, with getting more and more into dressage. But so today I would say that I'm a professional dressage rider, but then I do show jumping as a hobby. So, and the story behind, I only have one horse that I do show jumping with now, and which is a tall gray one. And I bought that one after I, after I sold a, a very successful four-year-old dressage horse to Andreas Hellstrand. 
uh, and that gave me the, the the means so I could actually invest in something that was different from what I've done before. And I didn't want to have like a Porsche or a Ferrari or something. I wanted to have a really, really nice show jumper. So I bought pods and he was only four at the time just to have something to learn with. And he is a terrible dressage horse. He would not get many <laughs> scores at all, but he's a brilliant jumper and has a lot of scope. So yeah, that's why I'm combining it. Love it. Cool. As you were starting out and getting more and more involved in the sport, at what point were you like, I want to do this as a career? I can see myself doing like this being a big part of my life. I was very young when I realized that I wanted to work with, with animals in some way. And I think I was about 14, 15 and I had got my first like a Vespa, you know, like a motorcycle bike kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was riding it to the stable every day. And I I already then had this vision that I wanted to work with animals in some way and, and especially with horses. Uh, and I think I was watching videos online of this was, you have, I mean, I'm not so young, you know, so this is before YouTube and there was this site on online where you could watch like most of the m most used breeding stallions. There was this big platform online. I think it was called Eurostars. It sounds like a porn site, but it, it, it wasn't. <laughs> but that was like my go-to where you could watch like after hours and when you're not in the stable. So I would watch all of those stallions online uh, and all the presentations. And I was very like drawn to the people that were riding the horses because I could see how the, like in Sweden, we don't really have this not like a title for being a professional rider like they have in say Germany where you can do like a, a very well established education to become a professional rider. And I saw these people and they all were, were that kind of rider that I wanted to be. So I think that's where the, that vision like developed. I think watching those people that had that as a profession and not just riding as a hobby, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was definitely. quite young. Cool. And then as you were kind of growing your professional career, how did it, how did you find it growing? Was it just kind of organically through taking a few clients at a time and then word of mouth? Or how do you feel like that growth really happened for you? So first I was doing this education in, 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 in Stockholm or just outside of Stockholm when I was at high school. So I did two years as a like sport scholarship kind of thing and that's where i started to realize that okay this is actually something that that maybe i will be good enough to do this as a as a career uh, and then after i did finish my basic education when i was 19 i moved to denmark and i did three years in denmark working as a student like a working student kind of thing and then after that i worked in in germany writing young stallions for stallions presentations and then after that i was actually a little bit burnt out with horses i felt like i wasn't good enough and like it, I just had this feeling that if I would have made it, it would have happened and, and it hadn't happened for me. Like I was riding and I was working with horses, but I wasn't very good and I didn't see myself as a talented rider and I've, I didn't feel like I was skilled enough to have the responsibility of, of running my own business and, and taking horses in training for others. So I moved home and, and was actually starting to pursue a career within educating myself to become a veterinarian. But as I came home and I had some grades that I needed to, to, to study to, to be able to do the veterinary um, education, I needed to add some courses for that. And as I was doing that, people started to ask me if I wanted to ride their horses. Of course, and, uh, yeah. I said yes. And then it just grew from there. And then 
and then I never, I never reached that stage to to start to educate myself for a veterinarian, and I'm I'm quite happy that I didn't nowadays. Yeah, definitely. What is your like? Kind of walk me through a week, maybe leading up to a show. What does it look like for you and your string of horses? Obviously, I'm sure each horse is prepped and prepared in different ways. But yeah, walk me through what a week would look like for you. <laughs> so I would say that. This time of the year now, we have the autumn finals next week, which is called Breeders' Trophy here in Sweden with, with all the dressage horses. We have six horses starting this year. Now is actually not so stressful because they've all done their qualifiers. So now it's a little bit just training and just making sure we're not really introducing anything that would be difficult or challenging for the horses now, like the two weeks up to the shows, because we would just want we want to have that that being done already so now we just like the last week week and a half we just want to have the horses feeling very confident and like they are all superheroes so they know exactly what what is expected from them and that they are on top of things so now it's a little bit easier work for the horses just up to next week but in general i i work we train our horses five days a week so we have Monday to Friday, which is training. The dressage horses do Monday, Tuesday, more like dressage work or flat work or what you'd like to describe that, where they are working on the, the movements and exercises that are new to them or being introduced to them. And then on Wednesday, we have, we call them alternative Wednesdays. Then we do something else. So they are either being hacking out. Some of them are jumping. Some of them are just having a day off. We, we are, live really close to the ocean, so we can have them nice. walk down in the ocean back and forth they do something else just to have a little bit of uh, change of environment and mm-hmm. do something different and then they do dressage again thursday friday but we also when we do those days we also always walk them before we start them out and do little hacks with them so it's not just like in the riding hall every day right uh, and then on the weekends we have some horses working on saturday but most of them are off both saturday and sunday if i'm at home a full week which i'm never which I'm, I'm never I'm never home for a week. So yeah, it's yeah. always either Saturday or Sunday that I have to ride as well to okay. to make sure that I have those five days all together. Got, Got it. That's awesome. How many horses are in your care right now? So we have 12 horses and we are always between, I'd say, 10 and 12. Sometimes it's 13, but I try to avoid that. And then I have two grooms working with me. So I have one is grooming for herself and it's an assistant rider and then I have one groom helping me with my string of horses and I ride about between six and nine horses a day I'd say so that varies a little bit but around that figure. Do you like the process of getting the horses super young and then like teaching them from the ground up and what does that what does that look like because I've I've seen it a little bit here but not having a dressage background I like my mind is always blown to see that process of like it clicking for a horse for the first time doing those dressage movements I just think it's so cool I actually love that face of of it's developed into that more and more when I started out it was more had like more senior horses that were a little bit more established uh, a typical horse would be a 10 year old not not having clear flying changes and you would you you would be hired to sort of get that in place but as i've developed as a rider i realized that i prefer to have them from when they're very young so nowadays especially the horses that i uh, like invest in myself and the youngsters that i buy from my company we always buy them like two or three year olds sometimes a four year old if they're just 
like if it's something that is extra, but it's because I, I really enjoy the whole process of, of building them up. And I think maybe I'm a little bit unique in that way that I can write Grand Prix on a Sunday and then go home to do a breaking with a, yeah. with a two-year-old or a three-year-old. But I, I really enjoy that process because it also, in order for it to be really, really good at, on like a competitive level, uh, you really have to have that relationship between the mm-hmm. rider and the horse. And if I get a horse, like we do still have, take some horses on for, for, for owners, which are a little bit older, but it, it's a little bit more stressful because they might be six, they might be seven. And there, there are a lot of the basics that we would have liked to, to teach the horse when it was like three or four. Mm-hmm. And that's not really there. And then you feel like you're, you're a little bit struggling to, to be ahead of things. Right. Whereas with my own horses that I've had since they were very young, they're, most of them are very like established from a young age. And, and then you also have the possibility to give them a little bit more time off because they already know things. So I would say that I prefer to have them from when they're really young. If you have, let's say you have a two or three-year-old that you're just starting out, what are the first things that you teach? We start with groundwork so that the horse follows us from the ground in a good way and that they learn to move sideways, stop and go forward and just have a feel that there's a benefit to, to, to trust you as their leader mm-hmm. because that helps so much when we put the rider on later on. Uh, and then we do some some saddle practice just work with the horse carrying the saddle most of the times in their stable or in the paddock and we can just we have this old saddle that we it doesn't look very well let's just say that it's a lot of <laughs> holes and it's taken yeah, a beating <laughs> it's taking quite a few beatings to be honest it, you never really see it on instagram because it mm-hmm. looks absolutely terrible that saddle <laughs> but that one is it has taught a lot of horses a good relationship with carrying the saddle and then we do some hanging exercises where we just put the rider's weight on mm-hmm. in the stable and then from there we build on with more like riding introductions do you think that like if you had to pick a heart horse or like a horse that has been super special to you in your life and your career would you be able to pick one at this point no I think they're all, I think it's funny, Bethany, because a lot of times you get asked that question, but I don't really, I wouldn't say that I have a heart horse now. I mean, there are horses that are, have bigger personalities for sure. And I wouldn't say that there is one horse that has had like a greater impact or I would dedicate my entire career to that horse. I don't have any horses like that because I think I learned something from, from every individual. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that you, that are very like important life lessons with some horses that are very very tricky but there are also smaller lessons to be learned from what would you call like an easier horse mm-hmm. so i wouldn't say that it's like one horse that has affected me the most no i think they're all pretty unique in their own way yeah for your competition is there do you have a type is there a specific horse that you look for that you feel like you mesh the best with when you're competing I think so. And I'm very fortunate in the way that I'm now within my company in a stage where I can actually handpick horses a little bit more that I think suits me. First of all, size. I'm, I'm a tall guy, so I look for the really tall horses. So above 17 hands is great. Mm-hmm. The taller, the better, I would say. But then I think with from mentality-wise, I think I look for horses. I don't look for the crazy hot ones like a lot of dressage riders would probably sit where i'm sitting now and say that i want them super super hot and almost crazy hot as youngsters me i'm not really looking for that kind of horse i'm looking for horse that i think is smart they can actually some of my best horses they're not your like ideal hot horse but you can make them hot in the way mm-hmm. you train them and they yeah. and that they are clever 
Uh, and I'm quite ambitious as a writer. So I think that for me, I find it quite not easy, but I think that's something that I'm good at to, to give their horses motivation and to create a training way that they are, they, they benefit from doing the right thing. So they think it's exciting to participate. And then I think it's sometimes easier with the horses that are not as hot because if they're very, very hot and they want to like, I don't want them to do the movements and the, the, the exercises from, I wouldn't say fear, but with a lot of flight instinct. So then it's sometimes easier with the horses that are a little bit more uh, calm, I'd say because they are sometimes more analyzing a little bit more instead of just going on their instincts. So I think that's maybe a little bit easier for me in the way I'm training the horses that they, because I want them to think. I, I'm not so good at horses that are just reacting mm -hmm. and not thinking, Yeah, uh, which is sometimes a, a, a bit of an issue with the way dressage breeding is, has been going the last decade or so, where you have a lot of horses with a lot of instincts, which is great if you can ride in that way, but I'm not skilled enough to do that. So I mm -hmm. prefer horses that are a little bit more sensible. I don't know about you, but I feel like my horses sometimes get better nutrition than I take the time to feed myself. If you feel the same way about your horses, you need to check out Mana Pro. They have been around with roots dating back to 1842. Mana Pro has been committed to providing high quality, nutritionally wholesome feeds, supplements, and treats for your horse at any stage of their lives. Because let's be real, no matter what role our horses play, we're here to make their lives the best they can be. So you can learn more at manapro.com, that's M-A-N-N-A-P-R-O.com, or on Facebook or Instagram at manaprohorse. Speaking of keeping horses' needs and their safety at the forefront, let's talk about Double D Horse Trailers because they have some of the safest materials, technologies, and innovation. They have several of their very own patented features, such as their Safe Bump Roof System, Safe Kick Wall System, Safe Tack, and Safe Tack Reverse Design. The customers rave about the functionality of Double D Horse Trailers, and they find that their problem loader horse now loads with ease thanks to all of the customizations available at Double D Trailers. You can learn more at DoubleDTrailers.com or find them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DoubleDTrailers. All right, let's head back to the episode. Kind of going back to what you were saying, when you took a break from riding and were looking into pursuing other things, you mentioned that you didn't think that like you were at a place with you know, your life or your riding where you felt like you could do this on a professional level. What, did, what happened or uh, what kind of did you go through that you felt like you maybe overcame that feeling? Is that something that you struggle with now? I think as like us being young professionals, that's definitely like a common feeling. So what's something, what are some thoughts that you had about that and, and how you kind of felt like you could um, handle it at that point I think for me personally what turned it around was just like believing in myself and believing that there was just not one set way of doing things mm -hmm. because the, I think a lot of like a big reason why I, I was doubting whether I would be good enough or not was was from my time in Germany where they have a very like set a set format of, of what professional riders do. Like sure. you only ride, like I had 12 horses to ride, but I didn't even like touch them, so to speak from the ground because it was very much my job to just sit in the saddle. And they're, they're great in that way. The Germans that they have industrialized riding in a way, but I, I was looking up to a lot of these people that I was growing up admiring from the videos online. I would actually meet them in person. And I realized that we were 
so different and our like passion for horses was very different where they were much more focused on just like riding and the shows and results and performances and I had a much broader perspective of how I wanted to interact with horses and I loved showing and competing and all of that but I also find that there are so many other aspects of my equestrian life that I want to take part in so I think that was why I was doubting myself in the first place because I was looking at the people that I've been growing up admiring Mm -hmm. and I realized that they were not the way I thought they would be and and when I was there and when I had reached that goal of being a professional rider in Germany, which was very much a dream for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was content with that and I was not fulfilled. And, and I had so much creativity and things that I want to explore and an experience that I wanted to learn from. I wouldn't learn from my mistakes, but I wasn't even allowed to make mistakes because it was very much like a set out path of how things were to be done. So I think that's why I doubted myself. And, I, and where I found back to believing in myself again was from people wanting me to ride their horses, but I was very much in charge of it myself. They just said, here's a horse, ride it and do what you can with it. And then I was allowed to do those stupid mistakes and, and, and navigate through that my, my own way. And from that, I felt like I would like, discover that passion for riding again. And, and when I started to have that passion and I felt like I had joy with the horses and with, with our, what I was doing in the training, that's where the company started to grow as well because then I got better just because I was, I wanted to practice a lot because I had a lot, I was filled with joy when I did it. And then it felt like it was easy and, and time was just not an, an issue anymore. Whereas when in Germany, I would just sit and look at their watch all the time. Like, okay, it's 30 minutes left. Yeah. Uh, maybe I have to write a couple of more rounds on this right. horse. Right. That kind of thing. And that just got lost. And, and I, I loved working late and I loved working on weekends because I felt like I was doing it for myself and in my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that if you are like an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial type of person, I am, you are not so worried with the whole resp- Like there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of risk when you're, when you're self-employed. I mean, you're always worried that next month, maybe no one wants you to ride your horses anymore. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're standing renting a big yard or a big barn right. or whatever and, but there's no horses to put in the stables you know yeah. but I was not so worried about that and I don't know I just think it's the type of person that I am so I was willing to sacrifice all of the the comfort and the safety of being employed by someone due to the fact that I was willing to try my own wings and I, I was I'm very happy today that I did that you can tell your passion for the horses and through I think, obviously, I'm sure when people interact with you in person, but the way that I met you was through social media, where I feel like a lot of people may know you. So tell me a little bit about that dynamic. Like, when did you start incorporating that into your business? And how do you balance that? So it's funny because it started when I was 19. I had Facebook at that stage. That was before Instagram. My sister had Instagram, but I thought it was way too artsy for me. It was just about like pretty filters and Uh didn't really get the vibe at all. But then I was working in Denmark and I, I fell off and broke my arm. So I was not allowed to ride for six weeks. And then my, my boss at the time, he asked me if I could help his wife who was working in the office. So that's where I started to sit. I was sitting in the office with a cast because I was just like <laughs> using the keyboard with one hand. And then I was filming some horses for them, for like sales horses. And, and I was doing a big job with filming. We had like 50 some horses in training and I was filming through all the horses and do, making sales videos. 
but then they were just being put on a file on the laptop. And I thought it was a shame that I had done all that job filming those horses, but no one would see that, you know, it was just like individual clients. Mm -hmm. So I asked him if I could set up a Facebook account for the company. It was funny because my boss at the time, he, he was not like, he was not much with a digital age. So he thought it had something to do with makeup because it was like Facebook. He thought oh, it was something funny. to have with like, oh, what is that? Something with makeup? I was like, no, oh, it's a funny. place where you post, you know, things and other can see it. And he didn't really get it, but I was allowed to. So I started to run their business account on Facebook and within, I was just like navigating through that, having fun with it, finding my own ways of what people would interact with and so on. And it grew from like nothing to in three months. I think we had 5,000 followers, which wow. is obviously not a lot, but yeah. at that time it was one of the biggest like sales tables on Facebook because I was just trying to navigate through the algorithm and trying to all the time have an understanding for how people would interact on the platform. So I did that and then I was not so active because I was very much focused on my, my writing. Mm -hmm. And then in the same time as I came back from Germany, I started to upload some videos on Instagram because then I, and then everyone had Instagram and I started to, to have fun with it. And I used some of the techniques that I've learned in Denmark and incorporated that to my own account. And then it just grew from there. And I just found this little, these little trigger things that people seem to like. And it was always doing some like controversial thing, like riding backwards or riding with a tarp or, you know, yeah. doing these little movies and it just grew from there and yeah and so then after a couple of years I did gain like a following but I didn't make any money from it from the start because yeah there were lots of brands reaching out saying oh you mm -hmm. can have so many phenomenas or whatever so it was that whole thing but then as one brand I had some friends that was also like influencers within the equestrian, uh, equestrian industry here in Sweden so we were like talking to each other and creating a little bit of network and okay saying that we should charge this for that kind of promotion mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So we together, I think a lot helped to set the standard for, for like uh, ads in general, like digital ads on, on, on social media platforms here, the equestrian business in Sweden. And uh, we helped each other and then it started to grow from there. And then with every company that would be willing to actually pay a fee for having their ads or their promotions on my platform, it would be easier for the next brand. Mm -hmm. And that has obviously grown a lot uh, over the last five years. And then with, with the pandemic, it, it exploded. So today it's, it's amazing. I, I have to pinch my arm like uh, every week basically because today, I mean, I run this training stable. It's great fun, but I could very easily live off just the income that I have from my social media platforms right. today. Uh, yeah. that, and, and if I would be like solidly going on like a business path, I would put more effort into the social media because there's a lot of more like marginals and, mm -hmm. and profit to be made on that behalf than in the training stable. But yeah. I, I love the training stable and I love riding horses. So I, I hold on to that. Mm -hmm. That's also, of course, if you look at the account, that's what makes it interesting. Totally. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, when I started my equestrian style, I looked to you guys because you had already kind of paved the way and it wasn't really a thing in the US yet. So it was definitely having to, and I'm sure this is what you had to do is really kind of educate the space and talk to brands about how like the, the benefit of influencer marketing and not yeah. just sending 
you know, a bunch of free product, but the value of investing in something like that. Um, so what's and, it like now in the States? Is it yeah, easy? it's, okay. it's definitely, it's definitely a lot more now. When I, I started my equestrian style in 2015 and they were maybe like, one or two other people kind of doing it. When I started, I honestly just, I had been riding like 10, 11 horses a day and it was just like running through my breeches so fast. So I'm like, if I could like get some free breeches out of the deal, then like that, it's awesome. So it started that way and then, you know, like turned into a business and now there's, there's hundreds of influencers too and definitely like a smaller scale than what you would see in the UK, but definitely something that I feel like is continuing to grow. And yeah, it's definitely been a learning curve for sure. And I think when you are a little bit more of a trailblazer in an area, there's um, a lot of reward, but also there's some challenges that you have to face to kind of having people understand what you're doing. For sure. For sure. It's taken a long time. And like you said, in the beginning you had to, it was difficult because you, at first when you had a brand reaching out to you, you had to educate them and say, this is how it works. And then mm -hmm. you had to, to charge them, you know? Right. So that was a little bit difficult in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Whereas with, with now brands in general say is much, much more educated and they know exactly what they want and what they can expect to get back so now it's much much easier i think we're just still like i mean it's still gonna go up a lot yeah, i think definitely and i noticed that you jumped on the reels bandwagon during the pandemic yeah i think that was that pushed me almost 100k i think just yeah. because i was so soon with and everyone And can I just say that all of my friends, they were laughing at me because I was making silly TikTok mm -hmm. dances and everyone was just like, oh, TikTok is so silly. You're doing stupid dances. Yep. I'm so embarrassed. You're so cringe. <laughs> I had heard all of that. Uh -huh. And I just thought, this is really cool. I think this is going to be amazing. Uh, so I, I gained a huge following on TikTok within like a few weeks, like 200,000 mm -hmm. followers or something. And then... Then Instagram came out with the whole Reels concept. And I had already practiced on TikTok. So right. I think I was very soon on picking up the trend and with the sounds and all of that. So I felt very comfortable with that. Uh, so I think that was great for me because that, that gave me a little bit of an advantage into that whole new format on Instagram. And I used to do that. It was the same actually with Stories because Stories was previously on Snapchat. So I was on Snapchat, I don't know, is it, was it three years, four years ago? Yeah. Uh, And I was very active on Snapchat doing stories. It was called something else. I can't remember what, if it was called stories or something else on Snapchat. But anyways, it yeah. was basically the same format where mm -hmm. short videos just being available for 24 hours. So I did that a lot and I had a joy with it. And then Instagram just sort of snatched that idea yeah. into their own platform. And I just continued to do it on Instagram instead. Are you mo do you feel like you're mostly on Instagram now or do you try to post original content to TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and I'm only on Instagram now and it's basically just because of the time thing yeah. like yeah I would love to do YouTube but a lot of people are requesting that and I think it's a great platform but I'm worried if I do more social media stuff that I will lose my I don't want to lose any more like space to the horses and the training mm -hmm. because that is still like if I had to choose I mean even if I The wisest thing would probably do to do more social media, but mm. what I, what my passion is is not social media. It's, yeah. it's training the horses, right. and I think that it, I'm worried that if I do more things on social media, I, I might lose that part mm -hmm. of myself. So yeah. for now, there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for now, it works really well with Instagram, but I'm, I'm 
I don't know, it might change in the future. But for now, I'm quite happy to just do Instagram like full time. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why I'm definitely thankful that they keep coming out with new, like with reels and, and things like that, because I was kind of dragging my feet having to jump onto another platform and do a whole bunch of other original content. Yeah. I'm like, I barely can do daily content on one platform, let alone multiple. Yeah. And I think that's as long as they keep on doing that, that I will stay with Instagram. Yeah. Uh, because now in last year, in the spring, I was actually in a like for a second thinking maybe I will just do TikTok. Like mm-hmm. that is going to be my new thing because yeah. I could really see how, how quickly things got viral yeah. and, and the whole, like, it was a little bit more easy and handy to use. And it was much quicker because I felt like Instagram for a little while went into this stage where it had to, like very much high quality content. It was mm-hmm. difficult to use and it was only like rewarding people that would spend hours and hours on editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I felt like TikTok was like more for me. But then when they did that, when they put reels into Instagram, I thought, I thought, okay, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause you, you definitely could do like easily do viral content with just your phone where you're right. Like before I feel like you had to have really like high resolution images to be posting. And it was like a very like clean cut looking feel, but, and TikTok exactly. was definitely like, selfie videos and like just like way more casual yeah 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 yeah. i I agree with you and i think it's always like like i find that when when i work with brands and also when i work with my so to speak my own brand which is the instagram account you try to have like a little bit of a strategy of where you want to how you want to portray yourself and what you want to see yourself in the future and, and direction you're going which i think is something that is natural if you if you work with any kind of business model uh I was worried about it just being about the high quality pictures, but I'm always coming back to that, that people actually just want to have the feeling. They don't care if I, if I do something that is unique and portrays a, a, a nice relationship between man and animal. I think they don't care if it's in, in whatever resolution, they just want to see that and that shines through. So that is like always a little bit of a struggle because you want to have the good quality and a lot of brands, they want to have something that looks nice and looks polished, but mm-hmm. the followers don't necessarily want that. Right. They just want to have that that feeling uh, Mm -hmm. that shines through that that emotion right do you feel like you've gotten clients based on your instagram following or and do you feel like there have been situations where there's been like a struggle of what you feel like you can post or what you feel like you can talk about because you do also have a training business and how do you handle that yeah i do all the time get clients actually from 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 social media and i mean i'm not competing at international ground level or anything so i think and but yeah i still have clients that are from all over the world and I, most of those international clients that I have here and international horse owners they are coming through me, to me from from Instagram because they see me and follow me and they like the my training approach and the philosophy that I try to to bring on to with my training so yeah that that's, that has definitely already happened and yeah with what can post and not post and what is acceptable or accepted by the huge mob on social media it is a it's an interesting topic and it is very difficult because you i i I don't want to if i'm asked i didn't i don't want to portray like a romanticized image of horse string i want to be authentic and real and show all ups and downs of it but then you have that whole which I think is very scary in in the society today where people base judgments on such small things and just like 
just like a little fraction of something they build an entire opinion on that without yeah. knowing the full story and and that's that was that is what worries me is that it's being ripped out of context and people can repost it and they can alter it in a way that that fits their own uh, story and their own agenda so that is a little bit tricky and how to portray that because you want to portray all all aspects of it but i try to i still try and i still try to find ways that i can communicate that and i think that i'm very blessed because i rarely get any hate but i also think that because i've done this now for like eight years i know exactly how to post things and if i am to post something that can be seen as controversial i try to find ways to do that mm -hmm. so that not saying that I will want. I still want to portray that and show all sides of it, but I just then I just know that I have to explain it a little bit more than right. I would if I was it something that was just a canter on a on a field or something. Right. Uh, so and then I can also choose. I mean, it's a strategy behind that too. I, I always post when there's something that I know can be controversial. So we do a lot of starting of young horses, which I think is. I would say that it's probably one of the biggest favors you can do for your horse if you want to have a riding horse is to. I hate the word breaking because I think it sounds horrible, but, the, but starting the horses, if you do that when they're quite young, like two and a half or three, I think there's a lot of benefits to that for the horse. There's, a, there's always something that people find controversial because people want to have this idea that horses are, until they are six or seven, when they are fully developed uh, in a way, that they should just live out. And then when they're seven, they should come in and they should do Grand Prix. And uh, they jump yeah. from do, being in the field to being started on the seven, the one at seven, and then right. they're doing Grand Prix. Right. But that's not really how it works. And I think that saying that a horse should not be trained at all until they're fully developed is kind of like saying that people shouldn't have, what do you call it, physics, gymnastics, or what do you call mm -hmm. it in school, like sports. It's like saying that young people shouldn't do sports because yeah. we know that we, we as humans and horses or dogs, we benefit from exercising on the development. So when we're developing that strengthens our bodies, the strengthening our bones, the strengthening our joints, mm -hmm. which is, and it's like not training a horse until they're seven. It's like having a dog living on the street and starting to train a dog when it's 10. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's doable for sure. You can do it that way, but it's much more difficult for you as a trainer. And it's much more difficult for the animal because when they are fully developed, they close all their organs. They, it's just like us humans. I see in, in myself, I'm 30 this year. I, I prefer things the way they've always been now because it's a natural process process when you when you grow up and you become an adult you don't want to change but when you're younger you're much more adaptable to new mm -hmm. to new things and it's the same with the animals and I think it's a benefit from training the horses when they're young but <laughs> this is a long <laughs> answer to your question but when you see a lot of in other cultures of the world when you train train horses you've had this the horses are living out and then you bring them in and then they're in full training for the rest of their lives whereas here in sweden we have they're lucky in the way that we have a lot of lands around here so we can bring horses in when they're two and a half years old in the autumn now about this time and we started for like six weeks to have them stabled in, in, in a box or in a stall and then we have them training with a saddle a little bit of launching maybe carrying a rider not i wouldn't even call it riding just being accustomed to the to the weight of the rider mm -hmm. and then maybe if you can just ride them a little bit loose that's about it and then they can go out again after mm -hmm. six weeks of training and they can go out and be just like wild horses again so that and we continue to do that until the horse is like five or six years old i mean i have horses that are eight that have had summer break now for like eight weeks just doing nothing just being out with their friends but they still do Grand Prix, but they can still go out just like wild horses. Yeah. And I think that's why people are a little bit hesitant to that 
training young horses because they think that they are just like training all year round, mm-hmm. 365 days a, right. a year. So yeah. I think that's why. And when I post, when I post material like that, I always post it on stories because then you're not allowed, you, you cannot, they cannot be like huge discussions in a comment, right. uh, comment section. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a good I point. That. But um, I don't get a lot of uh, hate to be honest. Uh, to finish that's that. great. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about an area of the industry that you are really passionate about. We, I'm sh- we've covered several things, but something that you're extra passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. I think within the, like in the equestrian side, like in riding, I think that the behavioristic uh, perspective of training and, and understanding the basic uh, functions of training animals is something that a lot of them are missing out because you talk a lot about riding, but you don't mm-hmm. talk a lot about how animals learn, which is very, very similar. All breeds are all more or less the same and actually humans too. So that is something that I would, if you would like get, find more inspiration to your own riding, that's something that I would dig into more. There's lots of information about it, some positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and so on. A lot of those basic behavioristical approaches is very interesting. And how did you learn your kind of method for training your horses and, and kind of spending time and get, having them get to know you, kind of that aspect of it? Uh, with the, like, that behavioristic aspect was, I think I was in school when I was, like, 15, 16, we were studying psychology in school, and we were talking about Pablo's dogs, mm-hmm. and, and, and I was so drawn to that, and I didn't understand why we didn't talk about that at riding school, because it was just about inside leg, outside brain, mm-hmm. you know, bending in the corners, all of that, straight, uh, straighten your back, you know, right. uh, all of that. And I just felt like that was much more important than where my elbows would be. Mm-hmm. If I could understand how animals learn and how, they, how you can train them, I thought that was much more interesting and much more important than knowing... Mm-hmm. I don't know if your hands, wrists were straight or not. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah. that's where I got into it. For someone listening who is interested in incorporating that into their horse's training, what advice would you give them or what kind of resources do you feel like would be a good place for someone to start looking? I think just uh, Google clicker training. Uh, clicker training is very easy to understand and, and very easy to Imply, imply on your own writing, I guess. And so, yeah, just Google. I mean, Google is great. And YouTube. I do so many tutorials on YouTube on horse training. And I really try to go all across the spectrum and not just doing classical dressage. I mean, if you haven't done that, that's a great way to search too. If you're into, I guess, hunters or something, then, then dressage would be just an eye-opener as mm-hmm. Western riding is for me, I suppose, or horsemanship. So just try to go out of your own comfort zone and out of your own discipline to find more knowledge because knowledge is a very easy tool to carry, but very mm-hmm. useful. Yeah. And I think just understanding that you, like you yourself don't have all the answers and being able to kind of have that humility to look elsewhere is really cool because it's a lifelong sport. And I think even talking to some of the top in our industry who have been a part of it for decades, they'll still tell you they have so much to learn. So being able to kind of pull that from other disciplines, I think overall makes everything so much more balanced. No, that's great. And I think that with the only thing I know about horse training is that how little I know. Mm-hmm. 
because for everything that I discover with training horses, I just realized that how much is left to understand about these beautiful animal creatures, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Carl, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat with me. It was so much fun. And moving forward to the rest of the year, I'm excited to watch you and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Bethany. It was great. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.